When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You are watching the Lax Factor Podcast. I believe this is episode 253. I'm your host, Ted Hoost, and today we are going to talk about a bunch of lacrosse games. We had great games both Friday and Saturday, and this time I will not forget the Friday games. We're going to talk about uh, first number one Duke against number two Notre Dame. Then we're going to talk about the Maryland and Ohio State game that had everybody kind of angry at John Tillman, including myself. We'll talk about UVA and North Carolina from Friday as well. We're going to talk about Michigan Rutgers, uh, Syracuse and Princeton. We're going to talk about Penn State and Hopkins, Villanova, Denver, Cornell, Harvard, Penn Brown, Vermont, Binghamton. Those are all games I have a little bit of an idea of what I'm going to say. Uh, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell if you're watching on YouTube so you're always notified when we put out new videos. And as always, you can go to laxfactor.com. If you're wondering, hey, what is Ted put out this week? Uh, the videos, I always put them here. I always update them on the page. You can always just go to the podcast section where you can find both the audio feed as well as all of the video episodes and all that good crap. Uh, and all I ask, just share the crap out of the podcast with your homeboys uh, or your homegirls. And uh, as always, you can go to laxfactor.com, get swag and crap like that to support us. But I want to shut the heck up and I want to get right down and dirty. And I want to start talking about this uh, Duke and Notre Dame game. I mentioned in this game's preview on Thursday that Notre Dame uh, was a team that has mastered going on runs and in some cases long extended runs, and that proved true on Saturday against the number one team in the country, Duke. The first four-goal run was started on the defensive side of the field. A Liam Entman save picked up by Ben Ramsey. Ramsey picked up the rebound after a minor scrum, went coast to coast, and when the Duke defense didn't slide, he unleashed a shot on the run that beat Wilhelm. That tied the score at threes. That run was capped by a crazy sequence that saw Jake Taylor pick up a ground ball with three seconds left on the shot clock. He sends it BTB to Pat Kavanaugh on the crease, who then immediately sends it BTB towards the goal. That beats Helm. That gives the Irish a 6-3 lead that they would never relinquish. And that highlight that I just showed you is also going to get this video flagged and every penny uh, in ad revenue that this video gets is going to go to the copyright holder uh, that happens here. The next run of four goals would start just under four minutes to play in the second quarter. Pat Kavanaugh unassisted and capped at the top of the third quarter a monster rip from Eric Dobson, top middle on a dish from Riley Gray. That made the score 10-4. to Eric Dobson had a great game. I think he had three goals and a helper. Dude's got a monster, one of the best shooters from out top, with time and room in his hands free in the country, bar none. The final run was of the five-goal variety, once again started by Pat Kavanaugh, an insane question mark dodge up the left where Brower was playing perfect defense, but Kavanaugh was able to get that shot off anyway. That made the score 13-9 to uh, in favor of the Irish, and then that run was capped by 
my brother Chris. He scored an unassisted goal of his own with 9.53 remaining in the contest. A dodge down the right alley, buried it top cheddar uh, on helm, and that gave Notre Dame a 17-9 advantage. Duke scored the game's final three goals, but do we really care about that at this point? Jake Naso did, in fact, win 22 of 32 draws. Now, I assumed for sure if Naso won that many, that high of a percentage of the draws, that would give Duke enough possessions that they'd have a huge advantage and that they would probably win this game. And the opposite ended up being true. Naso's wins were partly undone by Will Helm having a tough day. He stopped just 10 of the 27 shots that he faced. Notre Dame also took incredible care of the ball, only turning the ball over nine times on the day to Duke's 14. So that kind of evened out that possession disparity. Liam Entman, he played well in net. Didn't commit too didn't commit too many robberies, but he made the saves that he should have made. And with Chris Fake and the Notre Dame defense doing an incredible job limiting the looks that O'Neill and McAdory had, that was all the Irish needed to pull out this win. O'Neill was held to a goal, McAdory one goal and one helper. And specifically Chris Fake, I have to mention Chris Fake because he drew O'Neill's number most of the time. He forced O'Neill into five turnovers off just four shots and a single goal in the game. Not a very good game for O'Neill. I think you could say it's easily the worst game of the season for O'Neill. Potentially one of the worst games of O'Neill's career. Credit fake and his pals because it was a total team effort. Even where O'Neill may have gotten a step, the help was always quick to come. The recoveries and the covering of the backside were incredible, hence the five turnovers that O'Neill had. He probably had more than five turnovers because a couple of his shots were popcorn that Entman saved and it went right back up the other way. So Incredible job by that Notre Dame defense. In terms of what does this win or loss mean for each team not a whole lot I got a typo here not a whole lot Notre Dame they're going to be back at number one on Monday uh, both of these teams have already built an NCAA tournament worthy resume so this game was just dope across the board just some fodder for all of us to enjoy I don't think it's going to help or hurt either team outside of where it ends up positioning them in terms of RPI tournament seating and all of that crap uh, absolute incredible game here if we go in and we look at the stats you see uh, Balsamo the freshman for Duke was two and one and then Dyson Williams three and oh off six shots, but then you see Garrett Ledman one and one. That's that's fairly average for him. McAdory, though, is averaging, I think, almost three goals a game. He goes one and one here. Uh, Brennan O'Neill, one goal of four shots, three shots on cage, but, you know, saved um, saves uh, by Entman, and then five turnovers in the day. Just not a very good day for him. And then if we come down here and we look at Notre Dame, Pat Kavanaugh, three of five off just six shots. Chris Kavanaugh, five goals off nine shots. And as was said in the telecast, when your two of your best offensive players are also scrapping and leading your team in ground balls, you see Pat Kavanaugh here had five ground balls on the day. That's more ground balls than even his face-off men had. That is absolutely incredible. That sets the tone for how your team is going to play when your top scorers are scrapping, fighting, picking up ground balls, trying to hit people, riding like animals and putting up big points. You just can't say enough about what the Kavanaugh brothers mean to this Notre Dame team. But once again, like I said, this was a defensive effort here. That Notre Dame defense did a bonkers job limiting that Duke offense, and the Duke offense has been playing as well as anyone. I had said that I felt like I had to pick Duke as well as they had been playing up to this point offensively. And, you know, now I don't have to anymore. Notre Dame proved, hey, these guys are not on the roll you thought. We slowed their roll. We picked up the win. And that is all I have to say about that. Now, the main thing people are going to want to talk about in this game, number five, Maryland against number 17, Ohio State. 
is that John Tillman made a sketchy ass move. He meant he claims he just mentioned the gloves of the faceoff guy for Ohio State in this one and mentioned, hey, aren't they supposed to have the same colored gloves? That resulted in the officials giving Maryland the ball in overtime with, I think, two minutes left in the overtime period. I might be wrong on that. Either way, it was a total boneheaded move, I think, by Tillman, a total shit move. Lacrosse Twitter was all mad. The only people on Lacrosse Twitter that were defending him were Maryland fans. Almost everybody else universally thought it was bullshit, including me. At one point in his career, in this season even, he was my number two coach. If you said, who are your favorite two coaches in college across right now, I would have told you John Tillman was my number two. No longer. Uh, he is now not even in my top 10. He might not even be in my top 20. That was a complete bullshit move. I could understand a stick check, something that might be giving a guy a competitive advantage. The color of your gloves does not give you a competitive advantage. And for him to even mention that to the officials at that point in the game, even if that's how it went down and he didn't lobby for a, uh, you know, for the technical that was called, it wasn't a penalty. It was a technical without possession, which just gave the ball to Maryland. Even if he didn't lobby in that way, it was still bullshit. He knew exactly exactly what he was doing and fuck that guy all right now let's move on though because the maryland players don't deserve that type of smoke and they ended up putting up a hell of a game here in this one so in terms of how this game played out ohio state controlled this game from the start but faltered badly down the stretch the buckeyes took an 11-8 lead with 124 left in the third quarter off an ed sheehan goal assisted by kyle borda then the wheels came off for the home team. Daniel Kelly got Maryland back to within two goals just two minutes and two seconds into the fourth quarter off a dish by Ryan Syracusa, which he should just be playing for Syracuse, let's be honest. A nice cross-crease feed by Syracusa as Kelly was alone all by himself on the backside. Eric Spano scored with 5.50 left in the fourth to get Maryland back to within a goal, and it was Daniel Kelly again, this time a step down from the high crease on a dish from Braden Irksa. Not even necessarily high crease, might have been a little bit outside of the high crease, but he was alone in that very high crease region. Irksa finds him, Kelly steps down and scores, and now the score is tied. So you know the deal. We're going into OT. You already know about Tillman's bullshit move. We won't talk about that anymore. Uh, Braden Irksa, he scores the game winner for the Turt. Terps dodging from X up the right side. Now, my DVR cut off uh, the game, uh, the overtime period, or it cut off the overtime period after the bullshit move by uh, Tillman. So my only view of the goal was from Twitter, a shot from the Terps sideline, but a hell of a dodge up that right side from X by Irksa. Gets his hands free, gets a shot off. Terps win the game. Kumbaya for everybody. It really was, in terms of the, the Maryland team, a, a hell of a job here to battle back from being down late and to come back and win. You see Daniel Kelly, he's with four goals in this game. Zach Whittier, 2-1. Braden Erkso, 1-1. Eric Spanos, 2-0. I mean, we're getting you're getting scoring out of Maryland from not even the normal guys, uh, which is absolutely incredible. Uh, Ajax Zapatello, two cause turnovers here on the day. Good job out of him uh, from the Ohio State side here. Ed Sheehan, five goals. Kyle Borda, two and one. Jack Myers held to just a goal off four shots on the day. Not going to be good enough. And then Brian Ruppel, both goalies kind of had middling days here. Brian Ruppel, eight saves, 11 goals against. Skylar Walland, uh, eight saves, 12 goals against. Not great. But key here, once again, Maryland wins the faceoff battle. Where oh there it is Luke Weirman here Luke Weirman goes nineteen to twenty six so he wins the faceoff battle down the stretch it's always going to be huge in a close game so Weirman wins the faceoff battle Maryland wins this game in overtime yes some bullshit did go down but doesn't matter 
Maryland wins. And I don't really care because I have no dog in the fight anyway. Uh, another game from Friday night. We've got number three, Virginia, taking on number nine, North Carolina. This game absolutely over by the end of the first quarter playing without Connor Schellenberger that did not in any manner hinder the Cavs offense from going on runs after UNC took a one zip lead just a couple of minutes into the game Virginia went on a six goal ripper of a run in fact the first three of the or three of the first four goals on that run were scored by Peyton Cormier who had a huge day Cormier scored the second goal of the run with 10-28 to play in the first quarter unassisted just picks up a rebound off the backside of the crease buried it UVA up two to one. Cormier would score again with uh, just about two minutes later. Same thing, ball on the turf off to the left side of the crease. Cormier picks it up, buried another easy one. Virginia's up three to one. Cormier's third goal of that run was more like what you would expect out of the Cavs here. Dixon kind of from that five and five area going up or down that right side uh, to the right of the goalie if you're looking at it from the goalie side. He hits shuts out top, middle of the field. He threaded the needle down to the left side of the crease. Easy stick for Cormier. That completed the natural hat trick also for Cormier, and then Virginia continued to roll from there. Virginia would also put up an eight-goal run between the second and third quarters, and that would put this game totally out of reach for UNC. On a day that saw Petey LaSala win only 17 of 33 draws, the story was the Virginia defense. Cole Kastner, he had three takeaways on the day as well as a goal. Xander Dixon forced two turnovers. Scott Bauer, he forced two turnovers. Uh, uh, on uh, I, oh, Scott Bauer forced two, two, two turnovers. Dixon did a great job riding with his two turnovers. He rode like a madman. I butchered that little segment there. I wrote it up wrong, and my notes were were uh, just completely non-legible for the most part. Matthew Nunes, he uh, picked a good day to play well in cage. He stopped 12 shots to just 11 goals against, whereas the guy standing opposite him, Colin Krieg, who I think is actually on average a much better goalie, he had a rough go, just seven saves against 19 goals against, a very uncharacteristic day for Krieg, but he got almost no help from his defense as the, the North Carolina defense just did not play well. They lost guys all over the field. Virginia played tough. They played physical. They got after loose balls. They played solid team defense. Carolina did the opposite of that. UNC picked up only 28 ground balls to Virginia's 42, and when, uh, they had seven man-up opportunities. Carolina only scored on one of those seven man-up opportunities. For UNC, puts them officially on the bubble. They're lacking quality wins. Johns Hopkins is their only good win at the moment. You could make the argument Syracuse is a good win, especially if that win over Princeton put Syracuse back in the top 20, and they have Syracuse coming up next. So that both for both teams, Carolina and Syracuse, you're dealing pretty much with a must-win in terms of trying to keep their hopes alive of getting into the NCAA tournament. If Carolina loses to Syracuse, and I'm just playing this from the Carolina side, if they lose to Syracuse, they their last two games are both against Notre Dame. That does give them a chance to pick up two quality wins, but it's also playing against Notre Dame. So if Carolina loses to Syracuse, and they lose these next two games to Notre Dame, there is no chance Carolina gets into the NCAA tournament. So that game against Syracuse, between Carolina and Syracuse this uh, upcoming weekend in Carolina, in Chapel Hill, that is going to be all important for both teams that are playing here. For Virginia, they're likely fine so long as they don't lose out from here, and even if they lose out from here, there's a chance they still make it. Now, if we look at the scoring in this game real quick, Peyton Cormier, as I said, five goals, two helpers, seven points off just eight shots, an incredibly efficient day. Xander Dixon, three and one. Thomas McConvey, the transfer from, from Vermont, two and two. Griffin Schutz, one of three. Excellent job by, by Schutz. Truett Sunder, uh, Sunderland even uh, factored. Petey LaSala, he goes 17 to 33. Not a great day at the draw, 
uh, on the draw for him, but he scores two goals that more than makes up for only splitting the uh, the draws, you know, near 50-50. So a good job for him. And then Carolina offensively just can't get it going overall. They're just lacking firepower at this point. Logan McGovern, 2-2. Two and two. Lance Tillman, 3-0. and oh. Just not good enough overall. But as we saw... Uh, go Grayson Soliday. Let me mention him. He also had two cause turnovers to go with Cade uh, Sawstead's Cole Kastner. He ends up with one as well. So all in all, great job for Virginia. They smoked him. Game's over. And we are moving on to the next game here. Another great game out of the Big Ten. Yet another game required overtime out of the Big Ten. Now Rutgers took a 12-9 lead with 9.33 to play in the game thanks to Brian Cameron bullying his man up the left side from X and burying one past Shane Carr. It's good to see Brian Cameron starting to look healthy again back in that lineup. Michigan would mount a comeback started by Kevin Pimentel's man-up goal with 7.44 to play, dished by Ryan Cohen. Quick strike. The man-up play had just started. Pimentel was hanging open on that backside, what I called in my notes, the backside of everything, and Cohen threaded the needle, hits him, and they score a goal. Another man-up uh, man opportunity resulting from that previous play was capitalized, capitalized on by Peter Thompson, again from Ryan Cohen, and the Wolverines got things back to within a goal, 12-11 Rutgers. Michael Bohm would tie the game up at 12s with 4-11 left. A very nice dodge up that left side, doing a little bit of a turn back, ripped a nice little low to high. Very nice goal. That gets things tied up at 12s. And then this game goes into overtime, as I said. It is Shane Knobloch scoring a filthy goal in overtime. He's dodging down the left side, gets a pick. The pick ate his defender completely. Uh, no one hedged. Knobloch keeps going with his stick in his right hand on the inside as he's going down that left alley. He perfectly hits the corner going kind of three quarters low to high while on the run. It was just a beautiful shot by number 27 with a difficulty level of no less than 9.7 out of 10. Even unguarded with no goalie, you'd have a hard time sticking that corner just practicing that dodge and Knobloch buried it. Now, in the end, in this one, it was turnovers that were Michigan's undoing. The Wolverines committed 15 turnovers on the day, while Rutgers did a good job taking care of the ball, only giving it up six times all day long. Shane Carr also factored in keeping this game close for, for Michigan. He's been splitting time in cage at times this season. He gets the full game for Michigan after making six saves in the first half. He plays even better in the second. He goes for eight saves in the second half. Wasn't enough to get Michigan a win in the end, but I just wanted to say credit to Carr for having a good day when his team needed it. And then the Rutgers defense, they had their handful coming into this game as well as Michigan had been playing offensively. They played very well. Brad Apgar and Shane uh, or Jack... Stenesia, whatever the fuck that dude's name is, I have no idea. They combined for seven cause turnovers. Let me show you that guy's name so that you know I'm not crazy. This guy here, Stanzik, Stanzik? Maybe it's just Stanzik. We're going to call him Jack Stanzik. He ended up with three cause turnovers in the day, though. Good job, but credit to that Rutgers defense. Credit to transfer goalkeeper Kyle Mullen. 11 saves, 12 goals against. Solid day. Shane Carr a little bit better in terms of his percentage, but Mullen did enough to pick up the win as the goalkeeper. And then if we look at the scores for everything, because I don't want to forget that, you see Brian Cameron back in the lineup, four goals. Shane Knobloch, three and one on the day, including that game winner. Justin Kim, the Q's transfer, uh, he goes for two goals. You know, just a, an excellent overall effort out of this Rutgers offense and off of their defense to pick up that win. Next one. But I got to talk about Syracuse against number 15, Princeton. As I said, Syracuse playing in a must-win game here on the road against Princeton. You could have made the argument 
it was a must win for Princeton as well, albeit Princeton still has the Ivy League tournament that they can try to qualify for and get an automatic bid. So not quite a must win for Princeton, but pretty damn close. Joey Spelina gave Syracuse a 7-3 lead off a man-up goal dished by Alex Simmons with 13:27 left in the second quarter. It was Spelina's second goal of the game and one of four man-up goals Syracuse would score on the day. Princeton would manage to get back to within a goal off a Sean Cameron goal with 2:43 to play in the first half. A step-down shot on a feed by Coulter Maxey, but the Orange would answer with two late first-half goals, getting their lead back up to three going into the half. The first was Joey Spelina finding Michael Leo on the backside. The Fourth man-up goal for Syracuse. Simmons picked up a rebound, hit Spelina BTB, who then sent it across the crease to a wide-open Leo who simply dunked it. Nice little tic-tac-toe play. The second was Spelina getting some on his own with about 30 seconds left in the half. Spelina dodged his man behind X up the left side, and for the second time in the game, instead of letting number 22 get to that 5-5, five and five, where he's famous for kind of whipping that behind-the-back no-look shot, they gave him the high side for that second time. Both times Spelina took advantage, wrapped around his man, scored the goal, made them pay for cheating a little bit here. Now, the story of this game was every time Princeton would score a goal that appeared to give them hope, Syracuse would answer back. Spelina had a monster nine-point day off four goals and five assists. He put up points as a Dodger off ball. He distributed the rock. A great day for our only hope, Obi-Wan Kenobi here. However, it was the Syracuse defense and Fogo Jack Fine that pleased me the most in this outing. Fine won 20 of 32 draws on the day, a monster factor in this win. Without Fine's effort at the dot no chance that Syracuse pulls this out Dave Petromala I want to give that man credit for how well he has this defense playing Syracuse has been playing without their top two defenders all season Landon Clary did manage to get back in the lineup in this one and then within like the first minute of the game it felt he ends up uh, uh, getting a penalty drawing a penalty for an illegal body check he ends up stumbling as he's getting up looked like he left the game with a concussion so the Syracuse defense once again playing in a must-win game against a ranked team without their best two defenders, but somehow Petromala has these guys helping well. Uh, he has them playing, you know, they're starting more and more to not lose those matchups, but even where they do, they're helping, they're covering the backside. Uh, credit to Brandon Avilas, the the short stick D midfielder. Uh, he's been injured for a bunch of the season. He started, he came back and he looked solid, but you know, you could tell he wasn't fully back. Now that he has his game legs back, Avilas has looked incredible. Uh, credit Sam Alexo, the LSM. He's playing like an All-American at this stage right now. Not only is an LSM, he scored the game, the, the opening goal off the opening face off for Syracuse here, uh, but he's playing like an All-American because now he's starting to be asked to cover number one guys for t- uh, uh, number one guys for these teams because he's kind of their best all, uh, on-ball defender that's left. So credit to those guys, but credit to Petromala for how he has this defense playing. Uh, Will Mark, his usual pimp self, he stopped 17 shots against 13 goals against for Syracuse. It gives them their first win against a ranked opponent all year. Like I said, if Vermont can win out a little bit, they just beat Binghamton here uh, yesterday. If they can win out, that might that might give Syracuse two wins at this point over ranked opponents. We'll see how that how that plays out. But uh, you know, Syracuse has uh, tilts against North Carolina, Virginia, and Duke all on the road coming up, so they have three more chances to pick up some quality wins. I think if they go one and two over that stretch, they'll at least be considered. For the NCAA tournament, they probably end up being the, the one of the first teams out. If they can pick up two wins somehow over the stretch, Syracuse they were almost a lock. I think if they beat Carolina, uh, if they beat Carolina and then either Virginia or Duke, I think they're almost a lock for making the tournament because it'll give them enough quality wins with zero bad losses overall. 
For Princeton, they have Dartmouth, Harvard, and Cornell up next. They already have one quality win over Yale, but that's about it. So they need to win two of their next three to make sure they have a chance of making the Ivy Tournament uh, so they could try to pick up the the, uh, AQ. But I don't think they have enough chances to pick up quality wins at this point that they have any shot in an at-large bid. All right, I'm going to shut up now. Oh, wait, crap. Forgot. We got to go through the scores here, as I said. I did not do that in this game. Uh, So for... Syracuse doesn't let us sort this thing as I keep complaining about here, but you see like uh, Michael Leo was one and two. Finn Thompson was three and oh, you see Spelina here four and five off 11 shots. Uh, just a hell of a game there for Spelina. And uh, who else here? Cole Kirst played a nice game. Three goals here in this one. As we come down and we look at Princeton, Vardaro had a good game at attack, two and two. Coulter Maxey, three and three. He was his usual self. It just wasn't enough to get it done. Will Mark has a great day in cage. Gian Fercaro did not play bad for Princeton. It's just Syracuse had too many doorstep looks, especially man up wise. And another thing for Syracuse, nine of their goals, nine of their uh, 16 goals were scored by freshmen in this game, which is a pretty bonkers stat. Great for the future for Syracuse. Syracuse. All right. Next game. Number six, Johns Hopkins. Number eight, Penn State. Penn State took a 10-7 lead against Hopkins with just 12 or with 12.58 remaining in the fourth quarter off an unassisted TJ Malone goal. A nice dodge from X up the right. He got the high side and buried it as he got above GLE. Hopkins would then go on a four-goal run that would give them a one-goal lead with just 2.37 remaining in the game. The go-ahead goal was scored by Russell Melendez, dished by Brendan Grimes, almost too easy. Grimes dodges up the right side from X, found Melendez out top alone. Melendez has plenty of time to step down into that shot. That put Hopkins up 11-10 late in this game. Just 20 seconds later, the Binghamton University transfer Kevin Winkoff would knock things back up at 11s on a dish from Jack Trainer. Trainer, but it was at deep at X off and off the end line. Hits Winkoff up that kind of right side. Uh, about goal line extended, and Winkoff just caught his man sleep and just took two hard steps up up field a little bit, got himself in front, kind of a little jump shot that buried it. Nice goal. That results in OT. In overtime, it was a broken play situation that resulted in Winkoff getting the ball out top in the middle of the field, about 15 yards. He steps down to about 13 or so, lets it rip, and uh, just nails the top corner. That gave Penn State the win, a hell of a win for Penn State. And now the Big Ten is just all we've got a bunch of teams that are two and one in the Big Ten, and then everybody else is one and two in the Big Ten. It is as tight as you get overall here. For Hopkins, Melendez had an incredible game, six goals. Brendan Grimes, one and one. Garrett Degnan, two and oh. Casey McDermott, 0 oh and two. Not great, though, because Penn State ends up picking the win, uh, picking up the win. TJ Malone, four and three. Jack Trainer, one and one. Matt Trainer and Kevin Winkoff both scored two. You saw Winkoff scored the last two goals of the game, the game to tie it and the game, uh, the goal to tie it and the goal to win it, and then they win the game. Tim Marcel, eight saves versus 12 goals against. It was Jack Frasion that played incredible in this one, 16 saves against 11 goals against. And then the Penn State faceoff crew also did a good job. Chase Mullins, he wins 19 of 28 of the draws in this game. That's a huge advantage for Penn State in a very close game. They end up winning. Total team effort overall, though. Penn State never gave up. They just kept doing battle, just your typical uh, Big Ten battle. I believe statistically this game was you know, kind of as close as you get overall. Just a hell of a job by Penn State to pull the win out on the road. And that's it. Now I get into the games that I have not fully, have not fully written up here, but we are going to talk about. Denver picked up a solid home win against Villanova, 12-6 to here. 
and what happened in this one. All right, it was this run right here in the middle. Uh, Denver score. Richie Connell scored for Denver with 116 left in that first quarter. That tied things up at twos. That was the beginning, the first goal in a run for Denver that was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine goals deep. Uh, they scored that final goal of the run, 4-10 left in the third. Casey Wilson unassisted. That gave Denver a 10-2 lead that they would never relinquish from there. They smoked it. One thing I was surprised about here, uh, I thought one of the keys for Denver to be able to win this game was going to be Alex Stathakis at the faceoff dot. He did not have a great day. 11-21 at the faceoff dot. It didn't matter. Denver put it all together defensively. Total team effort on defense. They did just enough on offense just to be able to keep scoring goals, but that defense holding Villanova back every step of the way. They held All-American midfielder Matt Campbell scoreless. Just an assist on the day. Only had six shots all day long. And uh, I heard a lot of the credit here goes to the goalie play of Malcolm Kleban. He goes for 10 saves against four goals against. Stepped up big, but I believe from what I heard of the, the, po the, the post-game press conference was he couldn't have done it without his defense. The Denver defense did an incredible job all game long, and then the goalkeeper stepped up when he had to, and they were able to win this game despite losing the faceoff battle. So incredible job for Denver, and uh, that's all I have to say about that one. Harvard manages to upset Cornell which I was very surprised about actually here. Cornell jumped out to a three-zip lead, but then Harvard scored five of the game's next six goals. That gave them a 5-4 lead. Cornell did manage to tie it up. C.J. Kerr scored uh, with 4-18 left in the third, unassisted to make things 5-5, but then Harvard went on a three-goal run. They take an 8-5 lead off a Nick Loring goal. Cornell got back to within a goal. They exchanged goals after that, and Harvard ends up winning this game here. For Harvard, let's see what we got. Sam King, one and two. You know, I would have thought uh, Harvard's winning this game. They would have King would have had a lot more, but it ends up being Andrew Perry, the midfielder. He goes three and one on the day, and Harvard wins this game. And in cage here, Christian Bernard for Harvard, the goalkeeper. He has a monster day, 16 saves against eight goals against. Chase Erlen for Cornell played well, 14 saves against 10 goals against, but it's Bernard has the better day. And then Harvard managed to do this all despite getting absolutely waxed at the faceoff dot. Harvard loses 6 of 22. Jack Cascadden, he wins 12 of 16. Angelo Petrakis wins 4 of 6. Cornell, in all, wins 16 of 22 of the faceoffs in this game, and Harvard is still able to get enough defensive stops, enough uh, goalie saves that they're able to win this game. Ray Durth, he has two cost turnovers for Harvard. Chase Yeager has two more. Uh, hell of a job by Harvard, and they upset highly ranked Cornell. Next one, we've got Brown and Penn, another Ivy League upset here. Brown manages to beat Penn by a goal. The story of this game, I believe, was Brown. Okay, yeah, Brown. It was Jack Kelly scored the game-winning goal with 2.17 left in the game, unassisted for Brown. If we come in here, I believe Sam Handley was held to no goals. And let me see. Yep. Sam Handley has no goals off six shots, just two assists. So credit to the Brown defense for holding him back. Now, you know, Luke Dinola, Gabe Fury, all those guys for Penn put up some points. But then on the Brown side, Griffin King goes for three goals, two helpers. Jack Kelly and Devin McLean each score three goals. Good to have Devin McLean back in the lineup for Brown. That probably factors heavily in this one here. Face-off battle. Matthew Gunty did a good job battling at the dot. He wins 13 of 24 on the day. Chris Arceri goes 12 of 25 for um, Penn. Not good enough. And then in cage, what do we have here? 
Connor Theriault, the people's goalie, he goes for 12 saves against 11 goals against Emmett Carroll. Looked good for Penn, too. So pretty much a very good battle across the board here, but Brown does just enough. They score the game winner with, uh, what was it, two minutes, 17 seconds or so left, and they win the game. The other one that I was kind of paying attention to, I, I had been drinking during the Syracuse game. I tried to get my wife to drive me down the road and drop me off at this one so I could watch the second half. She refused, so I ended up going outside playing catch with my son instead. But Vermont is able to beat Binghamton on the road. It was 6-5 Vermont at the half. They outscored Binghamton 5-4 over the course of the second half to hold on for that two-goal win. Vermont had an 11-7 lead here late in the fourth quarter. Brock Haley scored unassisted to give him a four-goal lead. Binghamton scored two late to make it a little bit more respectable overall. And uh, Vermont picks up a huge America East win. Like I said, I'm watching this one closely. A, because it's important in terms of the America East turnout. B, it's important because if Vermont can win out and win, you know, what what did I say, four, their last four games in the America East, they end up being ranked. That gives Syracuse another ranked win, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, yeah, Brock Haley goes 3-1. and one. David Klosterman goes 2-1. and one. So Vermont does enough. What did our boy Tommy Burke do? 13-21 at the dot. Not terrible. Eight ground balls. And uh, Vermont picks up, let's see, goalie situation here. Matt Schaefer, 11 saves for Vermont against nine goals against. Holy shit, Connor Winters for BU. 20 saves for Connor Winters uh, against just 11 goals against for BU. So he did all he could to stand on his head and keep his team in it. Vermont, the better team on this day. In Binghamton, they win. UMass against Richmond conference game here. I was curious to see how it played out. I was watching this one before the Syracuse game started, and it was Richmond taking a 13-9 lead as UMass had to try to battle back towards the end. And, you know, get, they got back to within two goals. UMass did late. Uh, Mike Tobin scored with 202 left to get make it a one-goal game in favor of Richmond, and Richmond is able to hold them off for the conference win. And let's see, who did what here? Mike Tobin, 3-2 and two for UMass. We come down to Richmond, though. Do, 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 do. I'm just trying to find who had the points here. Dalton Young. Dalton Young for Richmond, two goals, five helpers for seven points off just six shots. So a hell of a job by Dalton Young. And then in cage here, both goalies had a terrible day. We're not going to talk about that. That's it for my games that I absolutely wanted to talk about. And because it's Easter, that's it. I see High Point beat Hobart by a goal. Georgetown, Providence hung a little bit tighter with Georgetown than I thought they would. So that factored here. Who else do we got? Uh, da, 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 da. There wasn't a ton of, you know, there was a bunch of good games overall, but it just was not as an exciting time as in terms of matchups because it wasn't just not as many close games overall. And uh, let's see here. Army ends up beating Colgate, Colgate by a goal on the road, so that's a big deal. Bryant beat up on Albany. That's now an American East contest, so that's a big deal. And uh, that's it. There's not games today because it's Easter. So I'm going to shut the hell up now. I'm going to shut up. Uh, everyone, I hope you enjoy your Easter. I'm about to have a meal here with family. I'm going to be late in getting this out and everything. So they're going to be here while I'm still cutting this up. But as always, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Back to Wednesdays for the preview show. No more Section 4 podcast. I'm going to just put that crap up on Twitter. Uh, couldn't get enough information from coaches to even make it worth my time. For the most part, I had nothing to talk about. Therefore, what was I going to do? So uh, the the College Across preview show is back to Wednesday, so come back Wednesday to watch that. And uh, enjoy your Easter. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And Hoost is out. The Lapse Factor Podcast.